I want to start this episode with a confession. I can be so consumed sometimes with being productive that it literally drowns out everything else, even far more important things. Whether that's on a work day, wanting to get things done, write articles, make phone calls, knock things off my list, or on a Saturday, taking care of the chores and the things outdoors and getting my lawn extra mowed and green and everything else. And of course, sometimes there's good in that. I want to be productive and fruitful for good things. I can even justify it to myself saying I am trying to be productive for God's kingdom or for justice, for mercy, for good causes. But so often, this causes me to put first things secondary. The person in front of me, my kids, even the people I love most in the world. Sometimes I can be so focused on being productive in ministry that I actually neglect the obvious opportunity for ministry right in front of me. A person that needs a kind word or an attentive ear or just being present with my wife and loving her well. And of course, in the short run, this can rob us of joy, can rob us of peace, we can live with anxiety, we can miss out on the beauty and opportunities right around us. In the long run, it can lead to weariness and eventually burnout. Well, if this describes some of the things you might have struggled with over the years, I think you'll especially value this episode of Justice and the Inner Life, where we talk with Sarah Haggerty about this issue, the obsession with productivity, and what it might look to begin to turn our life away from this obsession to a focus on growing down first, ultimately in a way that in the end becomes far more fruitful and lasting. to Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefend. I have the pleasure today of being with Sarah Haggerty, a good friend, as well as um, a mother, a wife, a, a writer of several wise and beautiful books, including your newest, Sarah, titled Unseen. And so welcome to Justice and the Inner Life. Thank you. I felt like so honored to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, you start off unseen addressing what I believe is often right at the root of the strain, the weariness, even exhaustion that's often felt by people who are wired like, like I think you and I are, doers, activists, advocates, mm. you know, justice people. And, and I think right at the root, it's a desire to be productive. It's we want yes. to produce and, and good things, right? Um, you know, even as Christians, although we, we may use a different language from the world and have different goals, often it's a similar drive to accomplish and get things done and to achieve. And we measure our lives by what we produce. Um, so you, I feel like you describe that and nail that so well right at the beginning of Unseen. And I'm curious, when did you start realizing this was a root level issue for you? You know, it was uh, relatively early into my 20s. Um, I had been in full-time ministry. My husband and I were in full-time ministry together, sharing the gospel with teenagers. Um, our heart passion to see the world evangelized. Mm -hmm. And I think when I started to see more and more lives touched for Jesus and turned towards him, which was really my deepest desire, 
and simultaneously feeling dry on the inside. I think, honestly, Mm -hmm. success in ministry at the same time as uh, being a little bit self-aware to see my heart was not thriving, that's when I started to go, oh, something might be off here. Mm -hmm. I remember actually specifically having a conversation with a teenager where I was sharing the gospel, telling her about Jesus, and it was kind of this dual conversation where I'm talking to her with my mouth and then in my head thinking, you know, if I'm honest, I don't know that I really know the love of God that I'm telling her about. And it was Mm -hmm. a kind of a startling moment. And I had a series of those where I went, wow, I am watching God move through me to touch other people, yet on the inside I'm feeling bone dry. Mm. And and for some folks, that carries forward to a place of, uh, you know, severe burnout, crash and burn scenarios. Was that the case for you, or was it more of just this awareness that this can't be sustained and that you won't you won't be able to provide what others most need unless something changes in that it may have been a little of both i mean i know from the outside uh shortly thereafter we stepped away from full-time ministry and from the outside i thought this is burnout this is what burnout looks like um but as i look back i think some of it was the gentle leadership of the lord i took a job at a boutique selling French and Italian pottery. And in my heart, I felt like this is such a massive failure. You know, I really want to be sharing the gospel. There are souls that need to be saved. There is brokenness on the earth that I want to be a part of. Yet I physically know that if I keep doing this without tending to my inner life and God, I'm going to drown. And so um, in some senses, yeah, a big label on it may have been burnout, but I think there's probably a lot worse things that could have happened as a result of that time. And because I started to open my Bible and give myself permission to seek God in a new way, I wouldn't have said it was massive burnout. Mm -hmm. What do you think is at the root of that drive towards productivity? Um, You know, I I mean, I, I, I sense that many, many people who, particularly those in the realm of kind of justice and advocacy, really, really measure the fruitfulness, uh, they measure their faith, they measure their own value by productivity. What, what do you think is at the root of that? You know, I, I've thought about it a lot over the years, and I think it's sort of a commingling of a beautiful God-given passion um, that we desire to see God made known on the earth. We desire to see restoration and his goodness revealed on the earth combined with um humanity that we, I know for me personally, a lot of this has come down to, I treated him as if he were a coach and a leader and not a gentle father. Mm. And so without really knowing what it was like to have kind, the kind eyes of the father on me when I was unproductive, much of my walk in God was doing a dance before him saying, will you accept me? Well, have I pleased you? Hmm. I felt better when I was more. I mean, if I'm if I'm honest, I felt better about myself when I was more successful in ministry. And and as I think you you just said a moment ago, that there's a good element in that, right? It's a desire to be fruitful. I mean, Jesus speaks a lot about Mm -hmm. fruitfulness. And so there's a sense in which God intends that for us. And yet prior to and underneath and far beyond just productivity, is is that sense of being connected to a good father? That's uh, if if we if we race past that to that fruitfulness, we are missing something profound. Yes, and and the fruit. I mean, this is maybe skipping some steps, but I think the fruit that comes from 
a heart that is deeply secure in how God sees them, uh, from my opinion, I think it's much more long lasting. Mm -hmm. It just takes Mm -hmm. longer to get there. I mean, I think in my twenties, I wanted quick fruit. I wanted miracle grow on my ministry. Now here at 40, I'm looking and going the, some of the best, most long lasting things take the longest time to get there. And that's Jesus's language, right? Where he says that it's his will that we bear fruit and fruit that will last. Yes. Not, not just a kind of a quick flash of numbers or what, whatever the success might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would want to be very just transparent, you know, in this conversation that I, I feel like this drive towards productivity and, and often finding my identity in that is very powerful in me. It's something I wrestle with a lot, even even amidst conversations about justice in the inner life. I, mm-hmm. uh, Rachel and I both recently read the book Deep Work. And, oh, I'll set that up next on my list. <laughs> you know, and I would recommend it 100%. I, I think it just is tremendous in terms of helping us think through how do we, amidst a world of distraction, learn how to be, you know, very focused and disciplined in in a workspace and all of those. So I, I can't recommend it highly enough on that level. On the other level, there's this subtle, unspoken assumption throughout the book that our lives are valuable to the extent that they're productive. Oh, wow. And and even a, a fairly narrow uh, description of productivity. It's, it's, it's actually, it really gives a little place to things like caregiving, hospitality. It really is, you know, producing uh, creative work, publishing articles, thing, things like that. And mm. so, I, and I don't think the author intended that entirely, but I think that, frankly, that is an underlying message that even as we take some of the great lessons on uh, discipline and focus, it, it really is a, a danger, at least for people like me, to be pulled even further towards just measuring our lives by productivity. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of think of the nature of this feels like it runs so deep within us. I mean, I I have said many times this year, I wrote a book on being hidden and finding God's eyes when I'm hidden. And yet still every Saturday when we experience, when we go through a Sabbath um, and we don't, you know, follow any formal rules about it, but we just have life slow down for a day. Mm -hmm. I feel uncomfortable every week. Mm -hmm. I feel a measure of discomfort as my, I set my task list aside and I sit before God for a longer amount of time and I play. And and how our hearts respond to play is often, I think, revelatory about how we really feel about our stance before God. Well, um kind of kind of building on that, um, you know, at, at the Christian Lions for Orphans, we often speak about the importance of growing down first. Yeah. You know, making our priority and our first desire to cultivate our roots in Christ, the, the health of our soul, trusting that if our roots are healthy, then the, the fruit of our lives in justice work and family and other relationships, everything we do will be vibrant as well. And I love you, that. you address that so well in your book. And I, I'm, I'm just curious for you personally, because it's clear you have been on a journey that to shift from focusing first on fruit and saying, hey, the most important thing is that I'm fruitful for God, instead to be focused on roots. So, so first of all, what, look, going back in time, what did it look like for you to focus on fruit? When you were focused on the fruit, what were the signs of that? You know, I got, I got a lot of uh, affirmation for how I was living when I was focused on fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, People would notice my drivenness and my productivity and my success and even say sometimes, wow, she's like three people in one. <laughs> she can, she's just such a powerhouse. Um, and I actually found 
some level of enjoyment in that until I started to realize that being a powerhouse meant that I often resented the small moments. I resented even investing in certain ways in ministry that I wasn't seeing fruit, the, the kid whose heart wasn't turning to Jesus but just needed someone to be in their life. The time in my day that required me to clean the apartment or to pay the bills or to run to the DMV, I just couldn't wait to get through those times. And I also, I mean, really one of the, one of the largest indicators of, of, um, kind of how that felt was I would sit before God with my watch. Hmm. I would, I, I remember <laughs> even like blocking my quiet times, feeling a little antsy towards the end. Yes. Approaching, approaching my time in the Word as if it was a box to check, not this like ever hmm. folding love story that God was inviting me into. So describe then what it begins to look like as you focus first and foremost on roots. You know, I think about that boutique. So this French and Italian pottery store, and they had maybe four or five customers in a day. They didn't even want me to clean in there because they said customers liked uh, cottage dust. <laughs> <laughs> I had literally had nothing to do for hours. And I, so I, I started to open my Bible at unconventional times. And that was actually pretty profound for me to think two o'clock in the afternoon could be a time that I would engage with God. Um, two o'clock in the afternoon before had been doing things for God and for his kingdom. And so that time I remember just literally looking at his word through the lens of what does your word say about me now, God, when I'm not evangelizing, when I'm not producing, when I don't have a CV behind me that says, look at Sarah's life in God. And I just passages started to stand out to me that I'd never seen before. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Psalm eighteen nineteen. Okay, God delights. Like, what is that? Delight from the, from God. <laughs> And not tied to what I've done or Zephaniah 317, he rejoices over me with singing. I started to see the emotions of God's heart. Mm. Those were things I had not looked at in scripture when I was more so seeing him as a great leader who was wanting to advance his kingdom on the earth. And I actually found myself wanting to talk to him about the inner movements of my heart, the anxiety I felt when I wasn't producing, the shame that I felt when somebody saw me not making an impact in the kingdom. Um, the embarrassment I felt when I was at a family Christmas party and didn't have a whole lot to say for my year because I'd been working a part-time job that didn't have any kingdom significance, you know, and I say that in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. um, but I started to dialogue with God about those things rather than just feel them and shove them back down and go on to producing. What did that, as you, as you began to take steps in that direction and, and, and choose, almost painfully sometimes choosing uh, to focus on the roots rather than just being productive, productive, productive. What were some of the emotional um, things that changed, you know, in terms of just your, your feelings about life, about God along that journey? You know, my husband would say I got a lot softer. I, I got softer and more attentive, less driven, mm -hmm more pensive and not not introspective to a fault, but just more aware of, you know, I write about in the book, 
um, before birds left droppings on my car and trees left leaves that I had to rake. But I started to pay attention to God's creation. I started to want to take walks just to even recite scripture over and over again in my mind, recognizing the power of the word of God inside of me. I wanted to take, I mean, this sounds to me at the time it felt crazy, but to take my Bible to the gym, you know, and here the la- I would say for the last five minutes of a run, pick one passage of scripture and meditate on it. And I started to actually enjoy unpacking the word of God in my heart, not for a Bible study, not for something I would teach or not for a lesson that would help me to validate what I'm already doing for God, but more so to grow the personal relationship with him. That's really significant. And I can't, I can't imagine that there's anyone that doesn't on one level desire that, right? That we have, I mean, certainly there's part of us always that desires to be respected and admired and seen and accomplish. But what you're describing that taking delight in life, taking delight in our heavenly father in his good gifts around us in other people being present to them, uh, being attentive. You use that word. And I think that's a, that's a, a watershed key word there. Um, mm. Who wouldn't ultimately desire that? Yeah. And I think when, you know, I think about my four year old right now and he's at that stage where he loves creation. He loves the outdoors and he loves being with me and he loves narrating what he sees. So we're on a walk and I'm seeing the same things he's seeing and he's just telling me about it the whole time. There's a <laughs> cardinal. I hear a woodpecker. Mommy, the creek's higher today. Do you see it's higher? Is there a wood duck in the creek? You know, all the things that I'm seeing. But his main goal in life is connectedness to me and to my husband, to Nate. And oftentimes I've thought this is how growth happens that we grow more and more connected so that one day my four-year-old's going to be 18 and he's actually going to want to leave home and he will have had great connectedness and attachment to me such that when, and my, and my husband, such that when he leaves, he brings that strength with him. Not the analogy breaks down because we're never leaving home in the sense that we're leaving God. But I feel like sometimes we start out as four year olds who have a great agenda. We're going to conquer the world and we're going to bring the kingdom of God down to earth. And we miss that, that God design development is a picture of how we grow in him, that we take mm-hmm. walks that we mm. connect to him, that we sit on his lap, that we narrate our day to him, that we notice um, the things that he put in creation for us to notice and to bring him worship. Those things were, were things I sort of used to disdain. They felt like annoyances to me that got in the way of the powerful work of God. And now at 40, I'd say I look at those things and I think when I am more attentive to him on the earth during my day at three o'clock in the afternoon, I hear the leaves scuttling across the ground and I I think of God as creator. I actually become more of a partner and I think I have potential to produce more fruit. Well, it, it, it strikes me that attentiveness is both a root and a fruit. Hmm. Because, you know, I mean, in, in many ways, what we're talking about on the, the root side is it's, it's attentiveness. It's attentiveness to God's creation and the beauty and the gifts he's put around us. It's attentiveness to his still small voice. It's attentiveness to, to the joy of being present with him. And yet that wells up over time in a greater attentiveness in our lives. I know for myself, yeah. when I am pursuing and straining after 
productivity, I, I'm not attentive. You know, uh, Rachel <laughs> would be the first to tell you I'm not an attentive husband. <laughs> my kids would say I'm distracted. You know, I'm racing around. I'm looking at my phone. And when I have chosen first to be present to God and prioritize that over productivity, then when I'm with my kids, I'm actually really enjoying them. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good listener. And when I'm with someone at a coffee shop, I'm fully present and listening and feeling with them the things they're sharing. And so it, it mm. does strike me that attentiveness is both at the front end and ultimately a wonderful gift and fruit of um, being present to God. That's such a good point. I see that. Yeah. Um, and and attentive to him and his spirit. I mean, I think there are things that he has led and is leading us to do that in productivity I could have and would have missed. And I don't mean to say it's so binary. I mean, I feel like every day I'm kind of vacillating back and forth. I mean, mm-hmm. even this afternoon, mm-hmm. earlier today, some of my just a few minutes of quiet because I have six kids, so there's not a ton of quiet, was me being aware I was plowing through my day again, just getting to the next thing and going, oh, 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 I don't want to have another day that's a check on the calendar. Like, I really want to engage with what God has for me today. So it isn't like, a, oh, I used to be that way and now I'm this way. I feel like sometimes it's hour by hour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, you know, just this is a side note, but I, I think you just mentioned, you know, mother of six kids and... And the, the, I think that the fundamental issues are the same, whatever vocational role a person is at a given time, right? If you're yes. running a Fortune 500 company, if you're educating six kids at home, if you're running a nonprofit, if you're a minister, if you're a janitor, like there's the fundamental, there's the drive to knock things off the list and, and do so in an effective and productive way. And it's not all bad, right? We want to be faithful in our roles. But if, if we prioritize that over the people, the situations, the gifts that God's put right in front of us, then we're going to, A, miss so much, B, probably run dry in time. It's so true. I think at 20, you know, it was souls saved and evangelism. In my 30s, it was, um, you know, driving towards parenting and, and growing our family. And at 40, it's having a clean house and having my kids be able to master their, their school. And I mean, it is, as my husband will say, when you see the same issue come up over several different landscapes, it's pretty clear that it's not the landscape. that's the issue. <laughs> Yes. Something yes, in your indeed. heart. <laughs> yes. Well, sir, you use a, a, a phrase that I thought was very significant. Holy detachment. Tell us what you mean by holy detachment. You know, I, so second Corinthians 418 says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And, and those are words, you know, you might have seen crocheted on your grandmother's wall and they sound so pretty, but in real life, that is really hard. I am living with what is seen all day long. I, I am measuring my, I have the proclivity to measure my kids by what I see coming out of them, to measure my home by the state that it's in. Um, we can do that in our work. We can do that in our ministry. And yet the invitation in Second Corinthians is to not look at those things, to fix our eyes on what we can't see. And I think holy detachment is is a gift that God gives us in slowly peeling our fingers off the things of this world, slowly, almost even separating us from having success or fruit or even joy from the fruit that we might want so as to connect us to him and detach us from the world. So Mm -hmm. I think for a mom, that might mean for a mom, it might mean 
you've got a bunch of little kids and you've got laundry and dishes and you cannot physically start the foundation you wanted to start and care for your kids. At the, not that you couldn't do both, but in, in a current season, you feel like you have so little time. Well, could it be that the Lord is actually detaching you from a measure of productivity so that you might find his eyes on you? Or I think of stretches of time where I didn't have success in ministry. And I actually feel like it was the Lord saying, I want you to talk to me here. I want you to find my eyes on you here. I want you to find the eternal and sometimes finding the eternal means being thwarted in what you can physically see in front of you. So Sarah, we'll, we'll probably come back to this theme towards the end of our conversation, but just briefly here, I know that early on you alluded to, and in your book, you speak about how, um, you know, when we pull away from productivity, that ultimately God often uses that journey to make our lives more fruitful in the end, or, or at least fruit that is more significant, that will is more lasting. Mm-hmm. Share just a little bit about that here, um, because you know, as we speak about attachment, I know that you're not saying ultimately go live in a hovel in the woods and no. shut out the world. Of <laughs> course, right? Uh, so, so share just you know how how you see the connection between detachment and in time a greater fruitfulness. Well, I mean, I'll tell you a story. When we were in our 20s, about this time when we were in full-time ministry, we had a whole group of friends um, that were moving into inner city Richmond, Virginia, and and um, places that they were, you know, really needing to renovate houses to even be able to live, with, live in them and taking positions of authority in the community so as to reach this community. And they still are doing it now. It is profound, <laughs> the beauty of these people's lives. And they were having meetings about it. These were my husband's college friends. And something inside of me went, I don't feel like we can do this right now. And my husband and I were talking and and really feeling like this is so rich. And what they're doing is so gospel oriented. And yet at the same time, we just felt like the Lord was telling us no for us. And it felt like a failure because it really then here I am working at this boutique. Like I'm watching these people change a whole community for God. And they really have had a profound impact there. And we're just doing these kind of random jobs. And yet at the same time, during that stretch, it was really the Lord inviting me to fall in love with his word and to awaken my heart, let my heart be awakened to who he was when I wasn't producing. Well, out of that time in the boutique and the time sort of being sidelined is where we got a heart for adoption. And who would have known that that time felt like we were totally being sidelined and potentially for the rest of our lives, like would God ever use us again? Well, it was that time that actually gave us the fuel to go across the ocean twice and adopt four children. Hmm. So I'm answering your question more through the lens of story. But in our story, I watched that God wasn't sidelining us forever. He was actually really rooting us so that when we moved to a place of adopting these children, it was coming from a partnership with him versus I think had we moved to inner city Richmond, this was not the case for Nate's friends. But for us, our motives would have been to go make a big impact, not Mm. necessarily because God was calling us to it. Well, sir, if if someone, you know, folks are listening, they're like, yeah, that is what I want. I recognize that if I just keep driving, if I measure my life by productivity, if it's, if Mm. it's all about, you know, achieving great ministry goals for me, I will run dry. I will, I will not love others the way I want to love them. I will not be attentive to the, those dearest to me or, or to those I serve. I want something different. I want to focus first on root, 
so that the fruit eventually that I produce will will last. If they if that's where what they desire, what choices do they need to start with? Where where does change to that kind of living start? You know, I think um, one is just paying attention to our lives. Uh, I think for you know, if I could do my 20s all over again, I think I would have initiated more. We're using the word attentiveness again, but more just paying attention to where I was spending my time and how I was feeling as I spent my time in that way and how I was feeling when certain things in my life were thwarted or stalled out. I think, honestly, just giving ourselves permission to take a deep breath and take an assessment to, to check our oil, so to speak. I think is a key thing. Sometimes I think when we get into ministry and we're so on the front lines and I say ministry, but I I mean, I, you know, adoption, those first few years of having my kids in my home, um, it feels like you're cleaning up the scene of an accident, so to speak. (laughs) Like it just feels like everything is right in front of you. And I, I even wish I could go back there and have taken more deep breaths and really assess the state of my heart, paid attention to what was happening in certain moments rather than just doing, um, but then I think the other part of it is just giving yourself permission to be unfamiliar with certain aspects of God. You know, one prayer that I pray probably at least once a week is I just say under my breath or in in a time alone with the Lord, I barely know you. And I feel like for a long time I spent my internal energy proving to other people and proving to myself how much I knew God. And there's something really freeing and going, you know, he, there are so many aspects of him that are unfamiliar to me. And I want to approach him as a little girl going, daddy, teach me who you are. Mm -hmm. And, and that stance, I feel like can invite, um, first of all, an awareness that we've gotten ourselves really familiar with certain aspects of him that we just keep going round and round, but there's so many other sides of him to be pursued. And I think it also just invites a conversation with him that is less my 30-minute quiet time and more. Let me see you at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Let me take a break. Even though we've got this one major thing coming up that we need to focus on, let me take a 20-minute break and go for a walk and say, where are you right now, God? Let me study a book of the Bible that I haven't. Or look at, you know, for me, it was look at the emotions of God's heart, which was very different than studying how Jesus spread his name on the earth. So much of that comes back to attentiveness, what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. being uh, having your hands open, your eyes wide all throughout the day, not just uh, in the morning quiet time or at certain moments, but continually yeah. ready to receive, assuming, confident that there are good gifts scattered all around. Yes, yeah. You you quote one of my favorite short poems by Elizabeth Barrett Browning yes. about the significance of having eyes to see the gifts that are, that are indeed all around us. So here, here it is. I'll read it here. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. So how does one cultivate eyes like that? Eyes that really see the gifts all around mm-hmm. that we might mistake for just a blackberry bush instead of seeing that it is a a bush set afire by God. Yeah. I mean, I will say this is really unnatural for me. You know, I even the fact that I am a writer now, I feel like in my early years, um, I just didn't know how to be slow enough to take that in. And 
um, it still feels like it doesn't come that easy. And I think maybe just to say that, that for most of us, I don't, and in the current culture that we're in and the speed that we're in and the Mm -hmm. access to information we have all day long, it is not natural to do this, to, you know, uh, as it's Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, mm-hmm. like to actually pause and consider that I have something declaring his glory right above my head right now, but my, my nose is buried in my phone, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's not natural, but I, you know, for me, I'm a systems girl. So earlier on, I built in times that I would call my wonder hour where I would just give myself permission to breathe. It wasn't specifically a quiet time. Sometimes it was, I'd read poetry. Sometimes I would read the Psalms because they felt like a little bit coloring outside the lines for me rather than trying to find the lesson. Um, sometimes I would take walks in the woods and actually like build in a place in my schedule. And for me, the wonder hour, I, I would put it in the most productive time of my day because I sort of wanted to fast mm. productivity and say at this hour where I could be three people in one, I'm actually just going to be one person and I'm going to set aside my tasks and I'm going to look for you, God. And so we have a nature preserve next to our house. So I put on my boots nice. and the nature preserve, um, over time, I felt like I needed less of the wonder hour because I had started to develop a little bit of a taste for seeing him, you know, such that if I was running an errand at three o'clock in the afternoon and there was something of him outside the window, I could actually pause and take it in, turn off the mm-hmm. music, or turn off the podcast. Um, but I will still say, I mean, I feel like it is swimming upstream to mm-hmm look for the beauty of God around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just so agree that, uh, I mean, I imagine this has always been somewhat hard for human beings, but uh, I, I think social media and, and just the noise yeah. and speed of technology makes it all the harder, right? Because it's it's designed by intent to invade every crack and crevice of our free time so that we 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 actually don't have the capacity to have the ears tuned the eyes looking for that wonder at three o'clock in the afternoon in the parking lot because we're either listening to a podcast or we're glancing at something else or we're comparing our lives to other people's lives on social media all of that kind of numbs us at least me personally it when i spend time focus there. It numbs me to the subtler, wonderful gifts that that are there hidden all around. And I mean, and I think it's only going to be ever increasing. I I, I feel, I mean, I would say even in the past year, I feel more of a need to put firewalls around my time of just quiet before God, um, exploring his creation, allowing his word to be imbibing his word slowly rather than for a lesson, because I feel like um, the noise just keeps getting louder. And mm. I don't know that it's going to lessen. So what we're talking about here, what, and what you argue in your book is that, that being present to God, being attentive to him, uh, spending time uh, alone with him actually ultimately makes us more likely to be attentive and present to others. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people might, might see it otherwise, right? They they'd even hear the, the verse from Colossians about being, you know, setting your mind on things above and thinking, well, they're going to be a person with their head in the clouds. They'll, you know, be kind of this withdrawn saint. But, but mm-hmm. what you're saying, and I think the, the, the testimony of history and, and, and the best saints throughout history have been they've been very attuned not only to things of God, but to the person in front of them, to the hurt of the world, to the person they're having coffee with. 
why is that? What is it about being more attuned to God that ultimately makes us attuned more to our neighbor? I think God is always inviting a partnership with us. And I feel like there's a lot of the running to meet the need that is an unnecessary spinning of wheels. Mm. And, you know, um, I mean, there is, so scripture sets up, I think there's a couple verses in Matthew 6, I think it's 4 and 6, that describes him as the father who sees in secret. Mm. So sort of positioning him as one who isn't necessarily just standing and measuring our works. I mean, there's so many things in scripture that illustrate him to be a God who's inviting us to abide and connect versus go and do. And I think, okay, so if that's the economy that he set up, that I abide in him, that my sole goal is to connect to him, then can I really trust that what is going to be produced is more long-lasting, more effective, more powerful than if I'm spinning my wheels on my own? And personally, I feel like I just see testimony in my own life that the less productive I have become, the more I have invested time in pursuing his heart. I call it in my book, wasting time with God, because and I I use that phrase because in my 20s, I would have seen it as a total waste. I have found my life becoming more impactful because in the quiet, he I, I find him whispering things to me to do or to pursue that I wouldn't. If I was just spinning my wheels, meeting the next need in front of me. Um, and in some ways, I think because our culture, because of the way that our culture is, we are trying to make ourselves three or four people into one, mm-hmm. not honoring that he designed a finite number of hours in a day and, and, and limitations in a human being and also invited us to pray for exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. So the only one who can conquer that <laughs> is God, that we come to him and say, I'm finite and I need eight hours of sleep. And yet, God, I'm going to pray bigger things for my life, for my children, for my ministry, for my writing than I could ever imagine. And knowing that I'm not physically going to accomplish those by staying up longer hours and working myself to the bone. Mm. It's well said. Yeah, I, I do feel like so much of uh, the exhaustion and burnout in ministry and, and other spheres, too, but even amongst faithful Christians comes down to not just acknowledging that we are finite beings. And, you know, yes. machines can run 24-7 as long as they have enough gas or electricity, whereas <laughs> human beings, God in, in, designed us for, for rhythms, for cycles, daily rhythms of wakefulness and sleep, weekly rhythms of work and Sabbath, you know, annual rhythms of, of times of, of labor and times withdrawn from that, whether as a farmer in the winter or as, uh, as, a, as a person with a vacation or a time away. And, and, and often we just don't want to yield to that. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it goes back to us, the insecurity we feel when we're not productive. Mm. You know, the insecurity we feel when there is white space. But I've lo- I mean, I even play, I, I mean, this is maybe trite to say it this way, but play little games with God where I'll say, I only have this much time. You know, today, this time that I have where I could be cultivating my writing, I'm actually going to spend it in prayer and ask you to grow me as a writer and watch the difference. And and again, I'm not advocating for not working, but I do think that there is an economy that he's set up where when we abide, fruit happens potentially in greater measure than when we're just running and chasing the next thing Mm -hmm. because we feel like we should. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun to watch. Like there was a season of time even where I would intentionally make my task list very small. We called it a productivity fast, my husband and I, because he was 
very much an advocate of this. Make my task list very small for a stretch of time and just see, did the house fall apart? No way. And in fact, quite the opposite. I saw profound fruit coming up in my kids that I hadn't seen when I was tasking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, I I think we could look at that in two ways, both of which would be true. There's a there's a a spiritual blessing element where, you know, I think where God says, you've chosen to step back from productivity and I'm going to I'm going to bless that. There's, I think there's also just a, um, almost a, you know, God designed us in a certain way to, to work in a certain way with the, the mm-hmm. we work well when we have an adequate amount of sleep. We work well yes. when we take a day off each week. And when we, when we race past that, there are consequences for body, for mind, for creativity. I mean, there's, there's even a number of, you know, secular writers who are looking at the literature and including scientific studies that are showing that time away from work, that practice of something like Sabbath, even if, you know, they're not willing to call it that, uh, ultimately results in greater fruitfulness over time. Yes. Yeah. You talk about tiny prayers. What do you mean by tiny prayers? You know, I think it actually may have been Piper who said that originally, but I've not been able to find him quoting it. Well, then then it can be you, right? (laughs) Yeah, so so I'm stealing it from him. Um, I, tiny prayers are, um, I, tiny prayers are breath-like prayers. I feel like for me, they are invitation to dialogue with God in the right now. I think for a stretch of time, I thought, when I have time, I'm really going to talk to God about that. When I have time, I'm really going to unpack that. And sort of missed that there, there's time like right now in this minute. You know, I mm. walk to the mailbox and I can pick one phrase from scripture and say that one phrase over and over as my prayer and have that three minutes be significant in my heart before God. Um, as a mom, I have felt like, and especially as a mom of uh, children who were adopted, there are so many needs that we're facing in the moment that are physically right in front of us. That It's not like I can escape from a conversation to go pray, mm-hmm. but I can pause and get up to go put a tea, pot of tea on. And in that moment, pray these minute like prayers for my daughter that reorients me towards, wait a second, this is all about him. And this is about who he is and not what I'm not. Mm. So tiny prayers have been just fun for me. I mean, even chopping onions or running to the post office, you know, and literally just the walk from my car to inside where I don't have any earbuds in praying, uh, whether it's a piece of scripture that I've been meditating on that day or for a kid that I've just you know, I don't necessarily need to wait until I have an hour to pour out before God. I mean, that's unrealistic, but wait till I even have 20 minutes. But mm-hmm. just in that walk on the inside, say, God, touch her heart today. Mm. It's been really hard for her to receive even affection from us. Let her receive affection from us. Mm. You know, simple mm. prayer like that. Yeah, yeah. What other small daily habits do you seek to keep that that feed and grow the hidden life you're describing? Uh, one is uh, the practice of adoration. Uh, that is a friend of mine years ago, we were sitting down for coffee, maybe even a decade ago, and she just heard me talking about my life and I think probably heard a lot of cynicism and kind of negativity and just said, hey, have you thought about adoration? And I was like, yeah, sure, adoration, camp, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, we all, we all adore, you know, it's in there somewhere. <laughs> and she said, no, actually, like taking time to... Set aside time to really adore God, just simply adore him from his word. And she sort of set me up with a little challenge. Um, I think, you know, for me, it was, okay, I've got some negativity in here that I'm not quite sure how to tackle. And so 
I just started studying different parts of, I mean, studying is maybe even too strong of a word. I just was looking up who God was, different parts of him that I wrestled with. You know, I'm facing fear right now. Okay, Lord, you are trustworthy. So looking up the scriptures on God's trustworthiness and adoring God, just telling him through his word, even though my heart didn't necessarily feel it, even though the words felt a little foreign to put in my mouth, but just adoring him using his word over, you know, I guess it's been seven to 10 years, somewhere in there. Mm. It has, I believe it's really been one of the biggest um, mitigators against cynicism in my heart, Mm. especially as I, you know, I'm under our roof are four children who were adopted coming from very hard places. And every day, you know, I can look at what I see physically in front of me and feel despair or because it's it's we're working through a lot and there's a lot of beauty there too I I probably don't even need to say this on this podcast because I know that everybody understands that there's beauty in this pain but in my deep heart I can feel despair I can feel frustration I can feel like the end is going to be worse than the beginning or I can look at who God is and I feel like adoration has helped me move from the fearful thoughts, the anxious thoughts, the angry thoughts to just the habit of telling God who he is until my heart feels like Mm. it gets there. Mm. That's great, Sarah. And, you know, it makes me think of, even though we can't delve fully into this, you know, how in in the CAFA world we've been studying a lot about neuroplasticity and the, just the yes, last 10 yeah. to 20 years of neuroscience is showing us that the human brain, even as adults, is continually changing. Every single thought we have either, you know, carves a new path deeper. And so if we're, if we have a path carved towards cynicism or other things like that, we will naturally go down that unless we actively choose something else. But as we do that, little by little, it literally reshapes our brain in a very physical sense that could be seen by an MRI. And as that happens, of course, more importantly, that changes our thought patterns, our heart, and ultimately who we are. It is funny. I was just listening to a podcast on neuroplasticity and thinking that very thing about adoration, going, oh, Lord, this is a little bit of what you've done in me. I've Mm -hmm. been a cynic for much of my life, but I feel like I'm seeing itty bitty changes as I adore. Mm, That's great. You um, you express the importance not only of spending time in Scripture, but but stating it out loud. I think I mean you're, I think you're talking about this here just with adoration too. But what w- what is the significance of not just kind of thinking about something, but speaking it? Yeah. Well, um, Romans ten seventeen says so. Then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So our faith grows when we hear the word of God, and we could certainly do that by you know, listening to the audio version of the Bible, which I love, or we could do that. We can grow our faith by actually hearing ourselves say the word of God. And I, I, so I look at that or I look at like Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, but the word is very near to you in your mouth, in your heart that you may do it. I think there's something profound about having the word come out of our mouth. And I see it in the word of God. So here's this invitation to grow in faith when I don't just think the word of God, but I hear myself saying it. So I see that in the word of God. But then I, I, you know, I think of for us anecdotally, we, I have watched our family shift when Nate and I both have been speaking the word of God out loud. We were in Uganda actually bringing our last two children home, not our last two of our six, but our last two that we had adopted. 
and just facing a lot of obstacles and really a lot of reason for discouragement. We weren't just even fearing. And I watched him morning after morning with his Bible in his hand, circled the guest house in Uganda, just speaking the word of God out loud, really telling himself. Mm. But he was telling his wife, too, as I'm watching him. What was true? Because it, it goes back to that Second Corinthians four eighteen. Do we do we look for what we see or what we don't see? And the word of God is what we don't see. When we get to tell our hearts and tell our weak and fickle and um, questioning hearts His word, I think we grow. Well, Sarah, as we kind of head towards closing here, um, something you've articulated several times already, but I, I want to circle back to it that. Even though what we're talking about here, even though the theme of your your book, Unseen, is that uh, our absolute priority, if we are to sustain, if we are to, 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 to know the joy that God intends for us, is to grow downward first, to prioritize roots over fruit. And yet, you ultimately describe seeing this way of life as the most fruitful in the end. Uh, here's a quote from, from the book here. You say, What I forged in secret with God led to a sweet partnership with Him, the kind of partnership that leads any of us into great impact in this world. What, what has it felt like for you to begin to discover that? I know you would say you're at the front end of that journey, but to begin to see that actually pulling away from an obsession with fruitfulness and productivity ultimately is the most fruitful in the end. It's a great question. I think it's allowed me to see the nuanced nature of God. You know, I think in some ways when we grow, we want to look back at where we came from is all bad and now where we are is all good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I look back and at my 20-year-old zeal to, I mean, really my zeal is to see the restorative power of God on the earth and and what I did with it. And, and though how I responded to it was being productive and really trying to produce my own fruit, that zeal was God given. You know, he created mm -hmm. us to make a profound impact on the earth. He wanted friendship with us to uh, enable his heart and desire to be birthed on the earth. And what, but what I found is that oftentimes takes more time. But it doesn't mean that that desire shouldn't be there. It doesn't mean that now I just need to be a quiet monk and um, not think about what it would look like to have the earth look different because of the presence of God or to have people's lives profoundly changed because of who God is or have hearts move from one dark place to one light place. No, he actually wants that. That's his heart. But... Um, it just takes time to grow. And I think when we consider investing in the roots, it's also investing in a seasonal time structure that is God's and oftentimes is long and quiet, but still will produce that fire that we wanted when we were 20. Amen to that, Sarah. That's, that is a good word to end on. May it be so for all of us. I won't add anything further to that incredibly rich conversation, but I would encourage you, if you'd like to get to know Sarah Haggerty better, to get her book, Unseen. It deals with these and many other themes in a very wise and beautiful way. 
Also, if you'd like to meet Sarah and hear her in person, please join us at the CAFO 2018 Summit in Dallas, May 9 through 11, 2018. Whether you're an adoptive parent, a foster parent, care deeply about orphans around the world, or simply interested in digging deeper into these themes of justice and the inner life, we would love for you to join us there in Dallas. You can learn more at www.cafo.org slash summit. Well, the simple truth is, If we obsess with fruits before root, we will likely have neither. But if we're committed first to roots before fruit, we will likely have both in abundance. Ultimately, fruit that will last. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Medefint, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.